Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're expanding. We're talking about what it looks like to design and publish an expansion to create an awesome game, but then want to add a little bit more to it. And we're talking to Patrick Lysight from Cara Games. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Yeah, man, really excited to talk to you about this. You've been working on an expansion for your game Commissioned for quite a while. It's, uh, it's actually on Kickstarter right now. And so I'm really just pumped to understand all the ins and outs, the challenges, the pros, the cons, all the good stuff that go uh, along with designing and publishing one of these things. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Sure. My name is Patrick Glassite. Uh, I grew up playing all kinds of the the classic military strategy games. I grew up in New England, and so we had long cold winters, and my my brother and I would would wail away at some of those Axis and Allies and Risk uh, type games. When I became an adult, I got back into board gaming through Ticket to Ride and Settlers of Catan, and really uh, uncovered the whole expansion of modern board games and, and have really gone into the deep end uh, with purchasing games and uh, and designing games. Uh, I think for myself, uh, I, I really enjoy a, a good Euro game uh, or a good kind of strategic level uh, military game. I'm not so much the dudes on the map kind of game anymore, but like a, a game like Scythe uh, really uh, fits in my wheelhouse. And I, and I love to play those uh, with my family. That's where we get most of our gaming in now. I've I'm married to my wife, uh, and we have four kids, and they are of gaming age now, and there's lots of fun had around the dining room table. Very cool. And so I know you and your wife, Kat, founded Car Games several years ago. How did you get into that? What made you want to found a gaming company and design games? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, you know, games for me are all about bringing people together. And so I got into game design because... Her family was coming out to visit and her sister likes economic games and her brother likes military games. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a game that we can all sit down and play together. And I did. And it was terrible. But it started my design journey. Uh, and we uh, kind of found the larger uh, board gaming community at that point. That was in 2012. And and I looked around and, and we, we found, my wife and I, that the modern board games uh, and the mechanics that are involved give you a way to explore different topics uh, in a really fun, engaging way and poten- uh, potentially tell some stories that haven't been told. Uh, we are Christians and we noticed as we looked at the board gaming community that there were no games uh, at that point that engaged Christian materials uh, or Christian games that were out there were primarily trivia based, which just leave you feeling dumber after you have played them and not a whole lot of fun. So we decided we would try to take on the challenge of designing a game that was fun for Christians to play, but also uh, was fun for people who are not Christians, uh, who have no faith background or just a different faith background to sit down and engage with some of that material from a historical kind of viewpoint. And so that's where our first game 
came out of uh, Commissioned is a cooperative game that explores early church history uh, in a way uh, that allows people of any background to, to engage and have fun and, and just kind of learn about that historical period. Um, but publishers wouldn't look at it because of the, the theme involved. Uh, they, we pitched it to about 20 different publishers and, and they enjoyed the mechanics and saw some of the value and the, and the innovative way that we were dealing with alpha gamer issues and, and things like that common to cooperative games. Uh, but they didn't want to, uh, to keep the theme. They wanted to make it about zombies. And that's not exactly where I was going with the design. Uh, so we decided that we would step into the publishing world uh, and do that ourselves. So we did. We founded our company uh, back in 2015 and, and launched the Kickstarter uh, for a commission there and, and commission came out in January of 2016 and has sold about 6,000 copies and we're very happy with how it's done. Uh, but it was time to kind of take a look at it and uh, expand it. And so we have been working on that and the expanding process was a process and it took us much, much longer than I think we uh, initially guessed that it was going to take to work through the, the design uh, and, and publishing process. So we are now closing in on the Kickstarter uh, and we're excited for how that's going to go. But it has definitely been much more complex of a process than I initially uh, expected as I sat down to work on the expansion design. Very cool. And you bring up an interesting point when it comes to games with religious themes, no matter what religion it is. It's, it's a challenge. It's a tremendous uh, design challenge to do something that is tasteful, you know, that's not a counter to what, what people that prescribe to that religion would, would feel is good. You know, you don't want to offend anybody, uh, but then also to make it fun, you know, to make it into game mechanics and, and more than just like, you know, words in scripture or, or words in faith, but also turn it into some kind of gamified thing. And so, yeah, congratulations on, on doing that and doing it effectively and now expanding that. And so let's get into it. What exactly is an expansion? Like, let's get a, get a good little working definition. Well, sure. That's, uh, I think, a great place to start because I, I see expansions falling into kind of five different types, if you will. Uh, the first type of expansion is an expansion that makes a game wider. It gives you new options within the existing player experience, which for me boils down to the unique combination of theme mechanics and components that really make that board game function. So a wider expansion doesn't really add a whole lot of complexity or rules, but just expands the player options within the existing game system. So that's that's what I see as kind of the first type of expansion. The second type is a is a deeper expansion. That's a, a significant increase in rules where you're intentionally making the game more challenging. And experienced players love this. This is what they live for. They love a deeper uh, expansion uh, kind of layout. However, the downside is that it can make the game fundamentally harder to introduce because the experienced player doesn't want to play the game without the expansion, but then a new player has a, a much higher barrier to entry if they want to get to that uh, gameplay experience that involves the expansion. So you have wider, you have deeper. The next kind of uh, expansion that, that we have uh, found, and this has really grown in popularity lately, is a solo play experience where you're looking for your game to not be a puzzle, but the solo play experience isn't really the core experience that your base game was designed for. Most games are not uh, 
what I would call solo friendly out the gate. They are uh, designed to have player interactions uh, as a core component in the player experience. And so transforming your game into a solo play game while still preserving that player experience is a uh, is a unique challenge that you definitely uh, have to work through and, and sometimes takes a lot more care and feeding than I think we initially as designers think it will. So wider, deeper, solar, solo play. Um, next, I would think of a retheme, and that is translating the original game into a different historical or geographic setting without fundamentally changing the core engagement of the game, right? And so for this, like a good example is a new map on a ticket to ride kind of uh, layout where it's not just new options that you're adding to the game experience, like a, a new player character or something like that. You're you're translating the whole package of the game through the, the key change of a, a board layout or a, a thematic setting um, in the game. So again, that's a, a re-theme expansion. And then the last thing is could be expansion, could be considered a, a new game, but it's the new edition. And that's to repair, streamline, or rebalance a game, especially after the game has gone through multiple expansions uh, over a, a series of time where you as a designer may need to relook at what the game is doing overall and kind of bring it back to center in terms of what you're trying to do uh, with the game itself. So uh, wider expansions, deeper solo play, retheme, and then the new edition are kind of what I see as the uh, expansion types within the gaming world. Awesome. And I want to break down each one of those five and kind of you know dive a little bit deeper into each one in a minute. But before we get into that, let's ask why. Why would a publisher want to put out expansions for games? Why would designers want to design expansions? What are some of the reasons why the expansions exist? Well, I think those are good questions and they have different answers, right? A designer wants to design an expansion because let's be honest, your game design is never finished. It's just time to go to print, uh, print or press or whatever word you want to call it. You could, as a designer, you're always looking to improve your game, but you get to the point where the, the game needs to become a game for other people to play, not just something that's on your prototype shelf. And so uh, sooner or later, that game has got to, to move forward and, and become a, an entity for players to play. Uh, but you may have ideas that maybe didn't make it into that base game, uh, especially since uh, streamlining and cutting is such a core part of the, the second half of a game's development. You may have some things that were initially in the game that for whatever reason were not ready and were detracting from the play experience early on. And those things can become the core ideas for your expansion. So that's kind of from the designer standpoint. I think from the publisher standpoint, the reality is that publishing companies stay in business by publishing games. And so an expansion is a good way to keep uh, your base game sales uh, in the public eye and to tell your audience that you are committed to supporting that game uh, over a much longer period. It's not just a one and done, one hit wonder kind of thing, but you are committed to developing the IP of that game uh, and, and building the community of players around that game over a much longer uh, period of time. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's go into your five different types. Let's talk about wider. What are some things to think about as a designer, as a publisher even, 
uh, when you're adding more stuff, right? When you're making the game wider, what are some of the challenges you've run into? What are some of the things to think about? So I think one of the great things that wider expansions do is they can explore different perspectives, different player perspectives uh, within that kind of construct that you have already worked so hard to develop and streamline and make fun in your base game. Uh, so for example, uh, in our expansion, one of the things that we have added is two new player options uh, that players can pick in terms of characters uh, as they play through our uh, uh, through our expansion for commission. It's called the call, and we've added two female characters now that that um, can tell the story of uh, of what women were doing in the early church and how important their contribution was. Uh, something that wasn't included in the base game, but that really uh, allows us to explore that same theme mechanic uh, component uh, experience that we developed in commission by offering a new perspective. I think another thing that falls into this uh, wider type of expansion uh, and that we are doing in our, uh, our particular expansion is a new scenario, right? So it's all the same base pieces. We add a couple or we twist a couple of the rules with different starting uh conditions and different uh, victory objectives. And now you've created a whole new player experience uh, for people to enjoy with all of the base game goodness still baked in. Uh, it's, it's a new challenge. So we had five scenarios in our base game and now we're adding two in the expansion. So there'll be seven uh, play experiences that they can sit down uh, and enjoy uh, as they uh, open up the box. Yeah, for sure. And this is something I feel like if you're a designer and, and like we were talking about before and you cut something out, well, this is a great opportunity maybe to add it back in, right? Whether it was a whole bunch of extra characters that you just didn't have room for in the print run or whether it was a whole another mechanic or, you know, something about the way the game played and you had to cut it out for streamlining sake. Well, now's a really cool time to put that back in. And maybe that's also in the deeper. I think we can also talk about this in the, in the deeper in a second, but just adding more stuff. I feel like if someone loves a game, and then you come out with an expansion that gives them more characters and more events and more objectives and more ways to play and more maps and things like that. That might be the easiest expansion. Would, would, would that be the case? Do you think this is the easiest way to expand a game? I think wider is the easiest. I think it's also the most accessible because it doesn't raise the barrier of entry uh, for a new player to get into the game and then quickly enjoy the expansion as well. So I think wider is probably the most common uh, form of expansion, and it's uh, it, it is the easiest to do in terms of designing and production. I think the the one kind of uh, detractor for a wider type of expansion is that you run the risk of losing the balance of your core game if you aren't very very careful with how wide and how fast you expand your base game. Uh, that you can. Um, accidentally introduce uh, multiple combinations of things through wider expansions that can cause your design to start to break uh, overall from a cohesive kind of standpoint. And so that's the one kind of caveat that you have to watch out for when you're doing wider expansions. That's a really good point. You have to be aware of power creep. And so if you're adding you know, new characters and new cars, new things that are going on, obviously you want them to be cool, but you got to be careful that they're not so cool that you know the original characters are kind of useless now and people only want to play with the expansion. I mean, I guess you could also do that on purpose. But I feel like another thing to think about from a publishing standpoint 
is buyer or customer exhaustion, right? Because there's so many games that, especially like Fantasy Flight, they, they've kind of been the poster child for this. They come out with so many expansions and, and now you're adding so much stuff and it's cool. Like It's all good stuff. It's got great artwork. You know, you, you trust pretty well that it's going to be good stuff, but it gets to be so much. And the people that are out there in the hobby that are kind of completionists that feel like they have to have it all, you know, if, if they start playing Arkham Horror and they love Arkham Horror, then they feel like they have to go out and get all the expansions. Well, that's like 50 expansions. And so you might run into kind of buyer or customer exhaustion where maybe it kind of frustrates people that you keep coming out with more things. So I think that's also something to think about from the publishing standpoint. Yeah, and I, and I think that's where that whole new edition uh, fifth type of expansion comes in. At, at some point, you have to kind of reset your base game uh, to allow the audience that didn't buy into the initial game early to to have even a cohesive shot at putting together uh, the overall experience that exists now after several, you know, this is why Carcassonne Big Box and, you know, uh, Terraforming Mars Big Box and all of those kinds of big box things exist is because otherwise you just, as a new player who's discovered this, you, you have no shot at, at effectively getting all of those uh, expansions uh, compiled. Um, so that that is another uh, drawback to wider expansions. You're absolutely right. Definitely. All right, let's talk about deeper. What are the things to be thinking about when you're trying to make a game deeper? So I, I think one thing here is that this is, this is very important in the life cycle of the game, that there are some players who love your game and are going to play it as it stands uh, you know, over and over and over and just love it. But there are a lot of players who want to grow with your game. And a deeper expansion is so important for the care and feeding of those players so that they can continue uh, to invest and grow in the, in the theme uh, and the experience that, that you are creating. I, I think the challenge on this side um, is that when you are making a deeper expansion, you are by definition introducing more uh, rules and more uh, kind of subset subsystem interactions uh, into the game that make the game progressively more difficult to learn from the uh, from a starting condition, right? And so the the goal or the challenge with the deeper uh, type of uh, expansion, like and I and I think a poster child uh, for this kind of expansion is the Cities and Knights expansion to Settlers of Catan. You know, you've got Settlers of Catan and then Cities and Knights puts on a whole different layer of complexity and interaction and new pieces and more things that you have to monitor, uh, which really make change how the game of Catan is played. But at the same time, if you have never played Catan and you sit down to play a game of Cities and Knights, you, you, there is so much learning to do that you almost can't do that. You have to play... Uh, several games of Catan before you can get into Cities and Knights. And so while the deeper expansion, if you if your game has done really well and, and, and attracted a, a, a large core community, then the deeper expansion is awesome and, and people will thoroughly enjoy it. But it, it may actually limit the growth of your game's community long term if you put out a really good deeper expansion because people may not be willing now to learn the, the game from from square one uh, in order to get to that deeper expansion that you've created. Yeah. It's all about finding a good balance because adding a deeper expansion gives your game the opportunity to grow 
with the players. So as the players get better at the game and they understand the strategies better and they can kind of become you know, more skilled at the game, well, now this deeper expansion can kind of turn that on its head and say, oh, you thought it worked like this. Oh, now it works like that. And all of a sudden it creates new opportunities for those players to explore. But at the same time, that's going to be a, a small percentage of players overall. And so if you have a thousand you know, players of your game, you're not going to have a thousand people that love this new expansion as well. It's going to be a much lower number. And so it's also something uh, to think about when it comes you know, to creating one of these. And I guess this is another great place as a designer to add things in that maybe you cut out during design or during development or during that last you know, 10% of polishing the game and making it as streamlined and, and as good as possible. And now you get to add more interesting stuff in and you don't have to worry about the burden of all the excess rules because in theory, players already know how to play the base game. So they're only having to learn this new stuff as opposed to having to learn in everything like you were saying with Cities and Knights. And so, yeah, it's just a really interesting a design challenge as well to kind of take the game and go a little bit deeper. And now for your own expansion with, with commissioned, are you adding anything in there that is deeper that you are changing the way the game plays? And, and tell me about that. Yes. So we, we have a, a chains module uh, that is a deeper type of expansion that fits within the call uh, expansion to commission. And so what we're doing with that is we are introducing, so our game has a, it's a cooperative game with a simplified deck building uh, mechanic uh, and in the deck building mechanic, there are no negative cards in the base game. Well, there's no like trash uh, equivalent uh, that you have to deal with. And so we are introducing with the chains module negative cards that go into the player's decks uh, that have uh, impacts on if they're kept in your hand, they have impacts on the character's uh, ability to acquire stronger cards as they play the game. And if they're played, then they have negative ability or negative impacts on the overall team layout that's occurring on the board. So the chains module kind of adds that. Am I going to, do I deal with the, the problem myself? Do I deal with a larger or do I increase the problem for the team to deal with some of those kind of uh, choices now uh, that really kind of enrich that deck building experience for the individual player. But at the same time, we're introducing a new set of, of cards outside of the player's deck that allow one player to, in, to influence and help the, uh, another player deal with their own deck building, which doesn't exist in the base game. So this is a, a deeper way to positively affect the deck building experience from one player to the other. So we're looking at not only... Uh, complicating the deck building experience, but we're also looking at enriching the layer of or the level of player interaction that's occurring within the core mechanic. But the way that we have designed uh, this part of the expansion is it can work with any of the scenarios of, that you play, either base game or expansion scenarios, but you don't have to use it to play the expansion. So it is an optional level that experienced players can add in to, uh, to enrich their gameplay but players who are happy with the game's difficulty where it sits can leave this part of the expansion on the shelf uh, and not have to uh, deal with the increased rule set uh, and complexity that comes from the, uh, from the deck building challenge that the chains bring. Nice. And this is something really to think about if you have designed a cooperative game is that, you know, sometimes players can get to the point where they feel like the game is solved where they played it so many times, they understand the puzzle, they understand how pieces all fit together. And so adding in a deeper expansion, adding in maybe another system, another mechanism, another way that the game you know, messes with you, 
it could, could really liven up the game again because now it's a brand new puzzle and now there's different pieces and now the pieces that used to fit certain ways don't fit those ways anymore. And so tell me about what you found as far as that goes, as far as players feel like it was solved and then now you're like, okay, let's do this instead. So this, this is interesting because this is the part of our expansion that we really had to wrestle with the most. I mean, we've been working on this expansion on and off for about four and a half years really seriously over the last two years. And this deeper part of the expansion design has really been a design nightmare because we either put too much uh, theme uh, involvement and too many rules or we had too little. Like the pendulum was just swinging from from side to side in the different iterations of our testing. And our, and our players were either could not play the module because it was too complex uh, or thought that it was too simple. It didn't add enough punch uh, into the design. And so we, it really took multiple iterations of carving through and completely redesigning how we were approaching the module in order to find that happy place in the middle where it layered on top of the existing experience in a way that was very rewarding, but still very approachable uh, to players so that they got the... Um, the thematic and the mechanical uh, impact of the the challenge, the deeper uh, expansion challenge, uh, but at the same time they were able to uh, enjoy it, and it did not disrupt the overall flow of the base game experience that is uh, commissioned. And so that really was a struggle, and it required a lot of brutally honest feedback, which we were very happy to get from our playtesters. Uh, but it also required several iterations of, okay, we go back to the drawing board and we're just trying to do too much here or we are not doing enough thematically and we need to make that tie more obvious to the players and, and things like that. And so it, it really was a, uh, an interesting wrestle through the design challenge for us in, in this expansion. Gotcha. All right, so the next one, you said solo gaming or solo you know option. Do we also want to put in like, expanding to you know multiple players so maybe the game originally goes to two to five or two to four and then you come out with an expansion that has a one player mode and also adds a five and six and so maybe like different player counts would that be a maybe more precise way to say this uh, yeah I, I think that's a that's a better way to say it definitely player count changes is probably a, a good way to to uh, to bracket this and so for us you know, this expansion, uh, we added solo play to commissioned. And so that's why I kind of had that thought on the top of my, uh, on top of my brain, but increasing the number of player counts, uh, is, is also a, a, a significant design challenge in terms of, um, trying to, to incorporate more, but at the same time, preserve the experience without adding, uh, you know, uh, a lot of downtime for players in between, uh, turns or, uh, through different phases, depending on how your game, your base game is structured, bumping up the number of uh, players can be very painful. And I think we have all sat in a game where, you know, maybe I don't want to play this with seven people. Maybe it just fits much better at the four to five uh, realm than it does at the seven uh, kind of realm. Uh, that being said, I think um, what what that means is you have to relook all of your game subsystems, how they interact with each other and how they engage with the player and what that does to particularly your player's decision space. Because if you 
if changing the number of players shrinks the number of options a player has or expands the number of options a player has beyond uh, you know, more than four or five choices, then you're probably introducing analysis paralysis into your design in a way that you probably haven't encountered in your base game. And so that's something you definitely have to be very cognizant of as you uh, alter your player counts uh, through an expansion. Yeah, for sure. This is something Ted Allspach from Bezier Games talked about on the show a while back. It was about how, okay, if your game is best at four players but it could go up to five or six, then for the base game, do four players. Because what's going to happen is on game night, when, when the game first comes out, everybody's going to want to play it. And they're going to look at the player count and go, okay, this goes up to four, so let's play it at four. And if you put five or six on the box, they're going to say, hey, let's hey, play six. Everybody gather around. Let's all play together and play six. But that's not the best player count for the game. And so if you play it at six right out the gate, it's maybe not going to be an enjoyable experience like a four-player game would have been because it's fine at five or six, but it really shines at four. And so for the base game, put whatever the best experience is, put that number on the box, and then later come out with an expansion that goes up to five, goes up to six, because then by that time, people already love it. Like typically they're not going to buy your expansion if they don't really enjoy the base game. And so just kind of something to be aware of from a design and a publishing standpoint. As far as solo mode, what has been the biggest challenge there? Because I can see how, you know, especially if you have a game that's competitive, you know, turning that into a solo mode can be very challenging, but even for a co-op game, we have different characters going out and doing different things in different places. You know, everybody's not in the same spot. Tell me what the challenges you've run into designing solo mode for your game. Sure. So for, uh, for cooperative games, you're already kind of fighting the, the battle against your game being a puzzle uh, and, and, and being solvable, right? And that's not something you really want for a, a core experience. And then when you take a game that has is built around player interactions with multiple players. And then you take that and you try to make it into a solid solo play game. Your base game subsystems are not functioning the way that they uh, were meant to function in the base game, just based on, on the, the number of players you have. And I, and I think the laziest way to do this is to look at it and have one player play multiple players. Right. And, and, and that's just not, that's not fun. Um, for a for a solo play, it's not really what you're looking uh, to do because it it takes away the impact of hidden information and and a lot of other things and how your your base game is normally working. So one of the things that we did for uh, uh for our solo version is we introduced a card drafting system before a player even starts playing the game. They can look at all of the different player characters and decide they have a. Uh, they have six cards that they're going to start their their deck with, and they can pick those six cards from any of the other player characters. So they are essentially building their own unique character that they will try to suit to the scenario that they're going to face. Uh, another thing that we did with our uh, with our system is that we have a rotating uh, uh, elder staff that is designed to uh, combat. Uh, the alpha gamer in, in the base game. We took that staff and we translated it into a rotating trial um, impact for the solo players so that as the solo player is playing the game, uh, they are uh, looking at and having to deal with the sequencing of the game attacking various sides uh, of the board, essentially. 
Um, and then one other thing that we have added in is some unique effects and distribution that instead, so in the base game, there's a, a die roll that determines whether you're able to communicate with other players. We've taken that die roll and rewritten the effects for every number so that the solo player is dealing with a different challenge um, than the, than the uh, multiplayer version in terms of communication. And then finally, uh, what we added is we, we reworked the deck building system so that the solo player has greater access to purchase some of the stronger cards in the game than you would have in the multiplayer access. So you actually have more freedom to explore the deck building aspect of the core mechanic as a solo player than you will with multiple players. And, and that creates its own pluses and minuses for how you approach uh, the core game design. So this is it's a, an entirely new experience from a player standpoint to play the game solo. You're not just playing multiple different players. You're getting an entirely different experience that makes the game a lot less puzzly uh, for the solo player as they approach it. Very cool. And it's interesting to see how much the solo gaming community has grown, especially in 2020 when we're stuck in our houses, but it's really become a a massive side of the industry to the point where if you don't have a solo mode in your game or you don't have an expansion that creates one, uh, people are asking for it. They're asking, hey, where where is this? Uh, Even on Kickstarter, you know, a lot of times uh, people will be annoyed if it doesn't have have a solo mode, you know, even competitive games. They want to see like an Automa style, you know, that like Jamie Sigmar does with all his games where, you know, you can play this game right out of the box and it has a one player mode in there. So definitely something to think about. Now, number four, you talked about retheme, and I want to get a little bit better understanding of this. Uh, exactly. When you, when you talk about retheming, are you saying kind of theme adjacent or like we're tweaking the theme or changing it in, in different ways? Maybe we're adding more factions. If it's a civilization game, we're going to add in the Egyptians. We're going to add in the Romans to whatever that weren't in the base box. Or are you saying like completely changing the theme entirely. Help me understand that. So I'm, I'm thinking more about changing the theme entirely, uh, but keeping the core rule set the same. So like, uh, for example, I'm trying to think like if, if you took um, the, the, the base game of um, like Pandemic uh, and you're going to make that, uh, you know, you've, you've gone from uh, pandemic in the modern sense to like a pandemic uh, in like yellow fever, Spanish influenza, like you're gone, you're gone back in history and now you're talking about the black plague. Like you've reset, you've taken the core mechanics of the game, but you have reset the game by providing a different board, by provide, by uh, maybe adjusting how some of the cards interact, all those kinds of things you have created with with minor component changes, you have totally reworked the the feel and the approach of the players to the game. Does that make more sense? Yeah, definitely. Now, how often, though, does this just turn into a whole different product in and of itself as opposed to being an expansion? That's true. Uh, like, certainly you could see that with, like, you got the Starfarers of Catan as opposed to the Settlers of Catan um, would be an example that, that hits on this as well. Um, so, so that's certainly a, a, an option. I think uh, for us personally, as a, as a company, we haven't done this type of expansion yet, but we have and are considering doing it for commissioned in the future, where we take those core mechanics and we provide a new board, or we provide some minor pieces, 
And in so doing, we're able to provide um, a, a new way, a new insight uh, into that gaming experience uh, at a much cheaper cost uh, than a, an entire new game is going to like. I think Ticket to Ride, some of the maps that aren't just new maps, they're fundamentally different ways to play the game, kind of hits on this type of re-theming expansion as well. Yeah, it's something super interesting to think about. Uh, I'm reminded of Dead of Winter, which came out with Dead of Winter The Long Night, which is effectively a standalone expansion. So if you only bought that box, you could still play the game, or you could go back and add all these amazing new characters and locations and items and everything's going on to the original as well. And so I feel like that falls into this category uh, as well as you know the opportunity to create something that stands all by itself, but also can expand something you've already created. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's a lot of room and, and flexibility here uh, to per- perhaps do some more thematic stuff that is a little bit more broad than your typical wider, deeper um, approach to a game expansion. Yeah, for sure. All right, number five was a new edition entirely. So tell me kind of the pros and cons on that one. So I think that this one, again, v- kind of borders on a new uh, new big box kind of thing versus an expansion. But I, I think it deserves to be discussed here because uh, to a large extent, expansions shape the trajectory of a future edition. You know, either you're dealing with some uh, mechanical updates that streamline the gameplay, or you've added something to the base game that has uh, nerfed the rest of the game and you need to rebalance uh, something or, or you know, perhaps you put something out that that just ended up being broken, and you need to adjust that aspect of of what is otherwise a very solid core experience to kind of level off the trajectory of a game. So these could all be, uh, you know, called new additions, and, and certainly you know, Twilight Imperium is a is a good example of something that does this, and, and it's it's a new game, but it's also kind of an expansion at the same time. And at least from a design perspective, it is approached more through the lens of uh, expansion design than it is uh, through the lens of an entirely new play experience, at least in my mind. Yeah, that's a really good point because if you've played Twilight Imperium 3, then you can jump right into Twilight Imperium 4. There's not that much that they change. There's not that many differences. And so, yeah, I could see how this would, in a lot of ways, even if it's not an expansion in that you're expanding a base game, it it's an expansion in that you're playing off of a game that already exists. So if you've learned the rules for the previous version, then you basically know all the rules for the next version. And so you're just kind of expanding on maybe some different ideas, maybe taking some things out, adding some things in. But the the base core, like the core of knowledge is very, very uh, similar. Uh, I've seen other games do this. I think you mentioned it with Carcassonne. Uh, I know Catan, where you can buy a, a bigger box that has multiple uh, modules and different things in it. I know Viticulture did this and kind of had the ultimate or collector's edition or like complete edition. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, they had all these different modules that you get the base game, but then you have all these expansions in there with it. So let's talk about that for a minute, especially from a publishing side of things. Let's say you had a game that's been out for a while. You've put out several expansions. What are What's the benefit? What are, why, why create a big box version that has all these you know expansions in there as modules as opposed to just trying to sell them all individually? Well, I, I think uh, from a publishing standpoint, or actually from a design standpoint first, it gives you the chance to kind of level the playing field, to bring all of those expansions back into harmony uh, with the original base game in a way that 
provides players with a, a with a more streamlined, a, a tighter kind of play experience within your game. And so from a design standpoint, that would is definitely what would draw you toward a, a new edition. From a publishing standpoint, it may simply be that you have exhausted your stock of the base game and now you're looking at reprinting the base game, but understanding that players want what they can get in the expansions as well. And so bringing a single cohesive box to market that has all of those things actually uh, increases the likelihood that that more new players will interact with your game because they don't have to go buy seven different boxes. They can go buy one box and have access to the material that has come out over a series of years in, in one cohesive put together package. And that is as a consumer that is very attractive uh, to many people, uh, especially if, if you're looking to, to have it all organized and in, in one cohesive place, uh, a big box new edition uh, has a lot of advantages for, uh, from a, a publishing alignment with uh, new players accessing the game. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, going off of the same idea, what are the things to be thinking about if you do have multiple expansions and especially if they are modular where you can play with multiple expansions at the same time they is instead of it being just like a a story mode or a scenario that you have all right here's the expansion that creates this story and then there's that one over there that's a different story but being more along the lines of here's expansion a here's expansion b you could play a and b just a just b you could throw c in there too what are the things to be thinking about from a design and publishing standpoint when you have the modularity of being able to do multiple things at the same time well i think one part is organization if you're going to offer players options on how they want to use the expansions and modules or new additions, then you have to have it organized and put together physically in a way where it doesn't take 45 minutes of reconfiguring the game to play it with a new option. Uh, so you have to offer that kind of organization and accept, like physical accessibility uh, and control to a player. Otherwise, the game becomes unwieldy and it will end up sitting on the shelf and not ever played because, oh, I, you know, I would love to play that game using option A, but it's currently set up for option B and it's going to take me an hour to reset the game before I play. So thinking through what are what does the player have to do differently to use the different options of the design path, I think is, is critical to success in the long term uh, for the game. And, th- and that's certainly something that we were... Uh, struggling with and putting together the the modularity of our current expansion to make sure that we weren't uh, we weren't creating something that became uh, unusable uh, for players in the long term as they decide do I want to play a base game or do I want to play an expansion uh, variant uh, of what we have going on in the box and I think that gets more and more challenging when you have more and more expansions to to track and and organize. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely something that gets very difficult to manage as far as does if you play with uh, expansion A and expansion D, does it break the game or does it make it not as fun as it could be? Like there's so many things you have to figure out from a design standpoint and so much balancing that has to be done. And it just, yeah, it just takes a while to go through that process. I feel like every expansion, then you have to play with all the other expansions, but you know, at different times and adding them together and not having this one and make sure you have that one. And there's like, I feel like so much playtesting has to be done with more expansions as you add another one. Now you have all these other iterations of the game that could be possible that you now have to make sure the game still works and it's still fun. And so definitely something to think about. Now, 
as far as a, a publisher goes, let's say you've got a game and you have a feeling that it's going to have some expansions. It has a uh, maybe some systems that lend themselves to being expandable, or you know you can add more characters, more cards, more events, whatever. Should you publish the game box with the intent to add more stuff to it or just not worry about it? I know a lot of people out there, they get really offended if you say that you throw away your expansion boxes and you just throw everything into the base game box. Like, What are your thoughts on that side of things? Personally, I, I like to, in a base game box, I like to include some extra space so that if I expand, uh, that gives me the opportunity to put that in one place uh, and to have it uh, organized and ready to go so that when I want to play that game, I, I don't have to break out four or five different boxes. I, I have everything uh, in that one place. Or if I'm going to take that game with me to a convention or on a vacation, I have everything I need right there. That's that's my personal. I, I know other people love their expansion boxes, and I, and I don't want to take that uh, away from them. And being, being able to put those all up on the shelf is uh, is a is definitely a trophy for some people, and 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 that is fine. Uh, but I think that if you don't, at least in a base game, uh, provide some extra space, then you are hurting some players in the long term. Uh, who would like to uh, consolidate the the organization of their game shelf. Uh, I, I know for me personally, I'm at the point where if I'm buying a new base game, something on the game collection shelf has to go. Like there's limited number of space. And so the more I can put into one box, the more games ultimately I can keep. Uh, and and that's that's why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, as gamers, we typically don't just buy a few games we typically buy all the games, and uh, there's only so much space on that uh, that game shelf, and so it's definitely something to be aware of. Now, as far as like timing, how do you know when to do an expansion? Do you wait a certain amount of years, certain amount of months? Do you wait until people ask for it? Like, what as a publisher, what are you thinking as far as like when should I actually put out an expansion? So we have waited too long. <laughs> it's it's been it's been four years, uh, four and a half years now since commissioned uh, came out, and so we are late. Uh, by all all measuring standards to get this expansion out. I think typically uh, publishers are shooting for every 12 to 18 months. And that kind of keeps their base game in the, in the news uh, with players and the community going uh, as, uh, you know, the support behind that game really moving uh, along in, in a positive way and then kind of building on itself. Uh, for us, what we ran into uh, a couple of things. We, we were cut, caught in the middle of a hurricane uh, and and had to move and all kinds of things with, with house destruction. And, and so that, that delayed the process for uh, about a solid year until we were at a place where we perso- uh, you know, personally had the, the bandwidth to kind of relook at it seriously. But I think more than that, this expansion has taken us a long time to do because we wanted to make sure that we got it right. Uh, and, and, as a you know, there are a lot of different publication mentalities, but especially for a small publisher like we are, we take a lot of time to make sure that what we send to press is what we want to send to press because we don't get the option to to make up and do it again with a new title in you know two or three months. For us, we're working on primarily one or two things at a time. We're going to release one. Uh, one thing a year. And if we don't get it right, then it's a major setback for our company. And so we would rather delay and take the time to make sure the design is tight, it's streamlined, it's adding value to the core experience of the game, and players are going to be interested uh, as they 
uh, are interested to play the expansion uh, because they know that we have spent the time in testing and validation to make sure it's a it's a good product. So I think that pace is going to vary from publisher to publisher based on the resources and time that you have to to spend toward your expansion. Right. That's definitely something to just be aware of. If you are a small publisher where it's just you or one or two people, then, you know, your bandwidth is only so, so much and your, your pocketbook is also only so much. And it's just something to be aware of. Now you said the game sold, has sold over 6,000 copies, which is amazing. Congratulations on that. Do you have any idea as far as like the number of people who are going to be interested in buying an expansion? Cause I mean, in a perfect world, 6,000 people would buy the expansion. Everybody would want to expand their base game, but we know that that's probably not the case. And so what are your think? What are your thoughts as far as like percentage uh, of people that are going to be interested enough to go out and buy the expansion and back it on Kickstarter? Well, I think first off, I need to say in full disclosure that I I don't have a, a standard percentage of players that come back to buy an expansion game. Certainly, it's not a hundred percent. I would hazard a guess that you're probably uh, with a really good expansion, probably bringing in maybe. Uh, 30 to 40% of the people who have bought that game in the life cycle of the game. I, I think that's probably a, a high-end uh, estimation uh, of, of a potential expansion. Um, given the fact that not everybody wants the type of expansion that you're making, uh, not everybody uh, wants an expansion, period, and not everybody that buys your base game is going to enjoy the base game slash will keep the base game to the point where you have released uh, an expansion. So, I mean, I, I think that we are hoping, um, you know, that we, we have had 6,000 copies of our base game sold that we will eventually be able to sell through, you know, two to 3,000 copies uh, of an expansion would say that we have done a phenomenal job designing the expansion and players like how it has been released and, and the content and the quality uh, that it has added to the base game. Uh, I think, uh, you know, as we look at our Kickstarter, uh, you know, we're hoping to bring in somewhere, you know, around a thousand people uh, over the, the, qual- the, the month long Kickstarter the campaign that we're going to be running. Uh, but well, you know, we'll see how it goes. A lot of it's going to, uh, you know, be up in the air. Obviously people, uh, get to uh, engage with us and and see and, and just assess for themselves whether or they not they think the uh, expansion is is value added for them. Uh, but we are certainly excited uh, about the possibility to bring uh, what we have been able to put together over the last four years with the the contribution of a very dedicated testing group uh, to the larger kind of group of Kara uh, Games fans that have have monitored and played commission for the last four years very faithfully. Very cool. And let me ask your perspective on this as a small publisher, you know, in the same kind of situation here, why not make a new game? You know, why instead do an expansion for, for a game you've already done, especially if you know, okay, we're not going to get 6,000 buyers of this next one more than likely. So why take the time, the energy, the money, the marketing, the Kickstarter campaign, all that stuff. Why do all that for an expansion as opposed to just doing a brand new game? And, that, and that's a legitimate question, and I think a very important one. I think for us, it boils down to there were more stories, there's more content and mechanical goodness that we had in mind for Commissioned uh, when we finished the design of the original game that we wanted to get into the hands of players, and we wanted to do it well. 
And so we took some time to work on some other projects and kind of broaden the scope of, the, of what our company has to offer. You know, at this point, we have a cooperative game, a light strategy card game, a social deduction game, and an asymmetric strategy game, which are all very fundamentally different types of player experiences. And now it was the right time for us as a company to come back to that cooperative core, historically driven experience that commission provides and to give the players who throughout the, the four years commissioned has really been what has kept our company um, company up and running. It's been what has been paying the bills for us. And we wanted to come back to that and, and give the players who have enjoyed that game uh, a thank you for the support that they have given us and, and to give them back some, some more content that they could uh, enjoy with uh, the base game there uh, of commission. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, what else? From a design standpoint, publishing standpoint, what are some other things that someone needs to be thinking about, pros and cons, you know, could be good or bad as far as expansions go? Well, I think that, you know, when, when you talk about the challenges of, of designing an expansion, different players are going to want different types of expansions. And so you really have to think very carefully about what is the scope that you want to set for that expansion. Otherwise, an expansion can... Tr- can try to be all things to all people and end up being very confusing. Uh, You have to make sure that when you're designing your expansion, you keep your core game intact in terms of how the player experience balances and feels that if you, if you stray too far by leaning on uh, a new aspect of, of the expansion, you can, uh, you know, very easily break your core experience and that's not what your players are going to want. Uh, I think from a production standpoint, one consideration is that expansions, players expect an expansion to cost significantly less than the base game, which from a design perspective means that you have to be very careful about how you approach um, component design in minimizing the number and type of components to streamline that to extract as much goodness as you can out of a specific type of components in order to add the most value at a reasonable price uh, in the production and um, in the sale of your expansion. I think you also have to, from a design perspective, be very cognizant about uh, making irreversible changes to the core game. Like if you're you're gonna do something that physically destroys components or adds you know, unremovable stickers or something like there are players who will not touch an expansion that makes irreversible changes uh, to the base game. And so you have to be very careful with that. Um, And then, you know, we kind of already talked about this in the pacing, but do, do I, do I deliver expansions to keep people happy because they're just getting something new or do I really strive for quality and perhaps lose some of my community because it's taking me too long to put out an expansion. There isn't really a right answer there. You just have to navigate that uh, individually as your uh, as your your own publishing kind of approach. And, and then the final thing I think I'll put under challenges of design is: is it a one way to play expansion, or are you including multiple options or modules that a player can? can use in the way they see fit. And there are pluses and minuses to both uh, approaches to designing an expansion. You know, options means choices, which is good, but it also probably means uh, uh, organizational issues 
and it means complexity issues potentially for how a player internalizes what they can do with the expansion. One way to play is very easy and very approachable, uh, but it may not give uh, the players everything that they were hoping for out of the expansion box. And so it, it is definitely uh, a trade-off that you have to work through as a designer and as a publisher. Yeah, those are some really, really great points. I think another thing to think about from the business side of things, and this kind of goes back to why you would do an expansion as opposed to a brand new game, is you already have a built-in audience, right? And so you know you're not going to get 100% of the people who bought the base game to buy the expansion, but you are going to get a certain percentage. And it's the same kind of mentality that Hollywood has with why they put out so many sequels. It's like, okay, not as many people are going to see part two of this movie series or part eight in the Fast and the Furious case, uh, but they, there is going to be a certain percentage that is going to show up. They're going to buy tickets. They're going to come and watch the, the movie. And same thing for expansions. Like, you know, not everybody is going to buy the expansion, but you are going to get a certain percentage of that built-in audience that, that's going to. And so maybe even a little bit safer than designing a brand new game with a totally new theme and new mechanisms and have to market a whole new you know thing. Uh, that's another thing just to think about from a business standpoint. Sure it is. And and, and there is certainly the aspect of wanting to, uh, to, to work with your community and to continue giving them what they like about your games. You know, if, if people are buying your games, it's because they like something about your games. And and to be able to continue giving them content that they enjoy is uh, is a, a definite way for a, a publisher to build a reputation of quality uh, and of caring for uh, the, the people in their community. And, and that is certainly important, especially to a small publisher like us who we, you know, we rise and fall based on how people uh, engage with our products and, and how we choose to engage with them. We, we don't have the bandwidth to put through a whole lot of different projects. So we need to make sure that, that what we do is, is meeting the expectations and the, and the gaming needs of our community. Definitely. Patrick, this has been great. Do you have any closing thoughts? Like somebody sitting there thinking about, okay, I would like to design an expansion for a game that you know I already created, I already designed, or maybe they're thinking I want to design an expansion for somebody else's game, maybe it's a game that they love. They want to make the next version of Pandemic or something like that. What would you tell them? I think that what you need to do is you need to sit down and think about what you love about that base game. Uh, and that's important to know because you don't want to break it uh, while, you, while you're adding to it. Uh, so you need to know uh, where what you love about that game and, and, and how to preserve that. And then the second thing you need to know is you need to spend a lot of time up front thinking about what is the scope? Am I going wider? Am I going deeper? Am I looking to change the player count? Uh, is this something where I'm looking to retheme and potentially expand in a, in a different or unique way? Because if you don't have at the outset of your design effort that scope, then you can go in a lot of different directions and nowhere at the same time. Uh, and, and so understanding how you're going to narrow down uh, your approach to the expansion is critical to be able to effectively design, test, and get feedback on your expansion. That's certainly, certainly an important part of the process. Awesome. Well, you've got an expansion up on Kickstarter right now. Give me the two-minute elevator pitch for that one. Sure. So uh, Commissioned is the base game, and that's a two to six player historically themed cooperative game with a simple deck building mechanic that explores the early uh, church history uh, and, and allows players to work together to overcome natural disasters, religious persecution and uh, historic government oppression that the early church encountered. Uh, the expansion is called The Call, and, and that allows players to, uh, like we talked about earlier, 
two female apostles are added into the game, two new scenarios to explore different aspects of uh, historic challenges that actually came up inside of the church instead of outside of the church. Uh, we talked about uh, new trials and uh, new uh, faith cards that expand kind of the replayability of the game. We introduce a, a solo play mode and then the optional chains module that really deepens the deck building challenge and enriches player interaction. So all of that is wrapped up in the expansion and, and we would be excited for everybody to check us out on Kickstarter. October 20th is the launch date and then should run for about 30 days. Uh, and then uh, you can connect with us on our uh, website, Cara Games, that's C-H-A-R-A games.com, Facebook slash Cara Games, Twitter at Cara Games. And then on Facebook, we have our kind of core Facebook group that's called the Cara Games Teammates Enjoy. And that's where you can get a whole lot of information about what we're doing throughout the Kickstarter campaign and then also with our future designs uh, and, and how we're working. Uh, so we would love to, to reach out and connect with everybody uh, about designing expansion, designing in general, or particularly our games and, and what we're uh, trying to do as a company. Very cool. Well, Patrick, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter and everything else you got going on right now. Well, thank you very much, and we appreciate the chance to be here. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?